Hey, spooky people. Welcome back to Unknown Compelling Force. <laughs> With your hosts, Marissa and Emily. <laughs> I have to do the air horn every time. Yeah, I love it. I have to. <laughs> uh, so yeah, welcome back to season two of episode two. This is very exciting. Last week was really fun. Um, I loved the haunted places. You know, mm-hmm. that's one of my favorite topics, so... We were really excited to get back into it. I think it was a good one to start off with, too. Yeah, I like think so. a season premiere kind of thing. Yeah, I'm definitely, you know, more into the paranormal shit, so I was very excited. Mm-hmm. And we're back in our regular podcast room now, which is <laughs> also which is exciting. nice, and we won't be sweating our ass off up here. Yeah, it's the third floor of our house just has kind of this extra room that we turned into the podcast room, but... In the summer, it was way too fucking hot up here. Our knees would get sweaty. Yeah, we'd get we'd be misting ourselves with water every few minutes. It's just too hot. But now it's nice, and it's getting dark mm-hmm. earlier now, which sucks for seasonal depression and yeah. general merriment, mm-hmm. but great for the spooky vibes. Yeah, because we can do it in the dark. Yeah, we like to record our spooky episodes in the dark with, like, some candles. So for we the feel ambiance. For the ambiance. <laughs> Small Danny DeVito is here, of course. <laughs> I'm wearing part of my Halloween costume, because this is also the room I'm working on it in. (laughs) Which is exciting. You're making it yourself. I am making it myself. I usually do, but this year is, I'm going harder than usual, so I'm just wearing my little Suki headdress. It's It's fine. It's going to be so exciting. I can't wait to see it. So yeah, I'm happy to be back in the actual spooky element. It makes it more fun. Yeah, definitely. Especially in the dark, because you always end up somehow scaring the shit out of me. It's not hard. (laughs) <laughs> you talk about how, oh, I'm so desensitized because I just watched true crime, but then an icicle falls off the roof and you think someone's breaking in to kill you. It sounded like it. <laughs> That's why I'm just more alert because of all the true crime I watch. I, I think of every possible scenario. That's true. Maybe that makes you less likely to be murdered. Yeah, exactly. So was it, if it wasn't an icicle, I would have been prepared to fucking shank some guy. I don't think that's true, but I think you would have been prepared to, like, run, scream. (laughs) I don't even know. Do you run? No, I hate running. (laughs) Just, like, scream so at least the neighbors would have something to report. I'll just drop into a fetal position on the floor and cry hysterically. I would just unalive myself so then (laughs) the intruder would have no work to do. Problem solved, my guy, for both of us. I would just ask that they shut the front door so the cats don't get out. (laughs) That's, that's it. Oh my god. Don't let the cops in or the cats out. <laughs> uh, anyway, uh, anything fun and exciting going on in your life besides general Halloween stuff? You know what? I started watching that show, Midnight Mass, on Netflix. Yes, I've been wanting to watch that. I actually didn't realize it was a show. I saw it on Netflix yeah. and just thought it was a movie. I remember you talking about it. Like You were like, we should watch it. And I was like, wait a minute. I think it's a show. But... Pretty much, like, every actor, like, adult actor from Bly Manor and Haunt Hill House um, oh. are in the show, so... Oh, wait, so is it, like, season three of the same kind of type show? That's I what know. you would think so, but yeah. it was never, like... Presented, though? Yeah, it was never it was never presented in a way that was, like, oh, this is, like, a spinoff between these two shows, but... And all the, you know, all the actors, obviously, they played di- vastly different characters, which right. is really cool. Um, but yeah, like the dad. They've got the range, darling. Yeah, they do. The dad from Hill House is playing like this older guy. I love like, it. Like y- y'all have to watch it. It's crazy. And I still don't really understand what's going on. And I'm like halfway through the show. I was actually um, planning to start that tonight. You because should. after we record this, I will be working on my Halloween costume and yeah, you should have definitely. to watch something. So probably that. You should. 
I don't know if there's, like, skinwalkers involved. Like, no, they look like skinwalkers. Okay, you're already giving away way too much, Emily. <laughs> no, that's just... <laughs> no, that you're giving away far too much. That was nothing. That's not even the whole yeah, premise yeah, of the show. I, I, five minutes ago, knew literally nothing about this <laughs> show, and now I already know... I, well, thank I you know for the dead animal warnings, but now if you're going on about all the other plot points of the show, I simply... Do not want to hear anymore. <laughs> okay. That's not even the point of the you show. You are being <laughs> cut off. <laughs> yeah, that's a little Pitch Perfect reference. Uh, so anyway, uh, should we reveal our exciting murderous topic for this evening? Yes. Well, mine might be murder. I'm not sure. Nobody's Ooh. sure. Yours is very spooky yuki then? Yeah. Okay. And it's about the Great Smoky Mountains. <gasps> yes, we are both doing mysterious forest crime. I love it. <laughs> yeah. I'm excited. Yeah. This is sort of a mosh podge of a few cases of unsolved disappearances that have happened in the Great Smoky Mountains. Exciting. Yeah. It's one of my like favorite unsolved topics is mysterious disappearances in national forests. <laughs> and like there's wild shit in like the Appalachians. Yeah. And the Smokies and mm-hmm. the Sierra Nevadas. There's always crazy shit going on yeah. out in those trees like and it's not normal yeah like it's very supernatural creepy shit that's just not normal and we'll talk about so. like we'll talk about like one of the conspiracies about what goes on in, in the woods we'll talk about that because it could be linked to a disappearance but you know right. who knows but anyway just a little bit of background on the great smoky mountains it's located in tennessee which i didn't even realize that I didn't know I, where it was. I drove through them when I went to go visit my uncle. <laughs> was there a lot of woods? <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes, there was. Well, it's, yeah, because there's over 500,000 acres. Dang. And I find that it's, like, crazy to believe that. And it's also the country's most visited national park. The Great Smoky Mountains? Yeah. Listen really? to this. It gets more visitors than the Grand Canyon, Yosemite, and Yellowstone combined. I'm going to go ahead and say because it's less of a road trip. That's what I'm thinking. Yeah. Everyone from the East Coast just goes there. Yeah, why? The, the Grand Canyon is literally so fucking far. Yeah, exactly. You think I'm going to go drive that far to go see a hole in the ground, sis? Think again. I would only drive that far to stand in all four states at once. That's valid. I would literally just drive for that. <laughs> so this place kind of gets its name because it's known for its magical smoky haze. Ooh. So, you know, people go here every year to go camping, hiking. There's a lot of trails, um, sightseeing. But there have been several strange disappearances within this national park. Okay. And many have no explanation, no conclusion. Just, they're gone. Yeah, no one knows what the fuck could have Um, happened. I know of various theories Mm -hmm. that explain Mm -hmm. disappearances like this. I'm not going to say anything right now because Mm -hmm. unlike you, I do not like to spoil the ending five seconds in. That was such shade. (laughs) (laughs) Got you. (laughs) Um, So I just want to see if you're going to mention the same theories that I've heard. Definitely one I feel like you know. And I, yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, Yeah, yeah, yeah. And we'll get to that. I'm going to be covering three separate cases. Okay. um, And I'm doing them in the order in which they occurred obviously because that makes sense and <laughs> so the first disappearance we're going to talk about is the disappearance of dennis martin and dennis martin was born in 1962 and he was only six years old when he went missing in the great smoky <gasps> mountains oh no yeah he's i think his case is probably one of the most famous 
of like the Great Smoky Mountain disappearances. It was Father's Day weekend, 1969. Dennis. <laughs> it was a summer of 69. And Dennis disappeared. Oh. That part wasn't in the song. <laughs> um, and Dennis was going on a trip uh, with his brother, his father, and his grandfather. And this was sort of like a family tradition. They did this all the time. Yeah, sounds wholesome. Yeah. And I think they even went to like the same places within National Park. And it was June 14th of that year, around 4.30 p.m., and the family was at this place called Spence Field, and it was actually right near the Appalachian Trail. And Dennis was planning on surprising his dad and his grandfather because he was with a group of other kids. I don't know if they knew each other, these families, but they were just hanging out with each other. Like when you go camping, you make camp friends. Yeah, and so these kids were like, let's go behind these bushes and then jump out and scare the shit out of the adults, because that'd be hilarious. I love it. Yeah. These kids are icons. Yeah, so they all kind of ran behind this one bush, and Den- um, Dennis's father saw him go behind the bush with the kids, and all the kids sort of emerged from the bush, like, right after they hid, but Dennis didn't <gasps> with the other kids. And What? Yeah. So Dennis's dad was kind of just like, oh, you know, he wants, you know, suspense or something. Right, he gonna scare me good. <laughs> yeah. And he waited for about, I don't know, like five minutes, and Dennis never reappeared. So when Dennis was nowhere to be found, his father walked the trail for almost two miles. Oh, my God. Um, He basically just kept walking until he felt like there's no way he could have gone this far. Right, yeah. And then he headed back uh, to where they were. Right then and there, an extensive search was launched that night. Yeah. Um, with, like, the National Park Service, they had the National Guard, they had the Green Berets, and they even had Boy Scouts come and, like, help look. Hell yeah. Yeah, I thought that was kind of interesting. And at one point, there was about 1,400 searchers looking for Dennis in these woods. Yeah. That's insane that he just stepped behind a bush with a fuck ton of other kids? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And then just, I assumed, just, I assumed that they were gonna be, like, going on a hike and he Mm -hmm. wandered off or Mm -hmm. something, but... There were a bunch of people around, and he just vanished. Yeah, it makes absolutely no sense. Honestly, though, here's what I'm going to say. Kidnappers work fast. Yeah. But, like, like that whole scenario doesn't scream kidnapper to me, but just keep that in mind. It happens fast. I just wonder, like, wouldn't the other kids have heard yeah. or seen something? Like, Or Dennis would have, like, screamed at least or something? Or, like, even if his mouth was covered, like, I feel like... The kids would have known. Yeah, something some, someone well. would have seen something yeah. or heard something if they were right there. You'd probably hear like someone running through the running, forest, running, rustling. Yeah, yeah. So that's, that's it, it. Makes no sense. That's crazy. Um, and what really sucked about this whole situation—not just that he was just disappeared out of nowhere—there um, was really heavy rain that oh, night. Oh, so they couldn't scent. Yeah, so this obviously hindered the search efforts, everything got muddy, you know, you can't send uh, helicopters out and stuff. And, and then it, it muddles the scent. Yeah, and then the next day it was super foggy, so these people couldn't Ooh. see, like, two feet in front of them. You know? It's always foggy. Yeah. It's always foggy in those mountains, bitch! That's why they call it the Smoky Mountains. Yep. <laughs> and there was a lot of heavy criticism over this whole search because they said there was, like, way too many people because oh trampling yeah. over evidence and yeah. yeah yeah so but also if a child is missing how are you not going to send people out to look for them and the forest is so big it's so big what are the odds you're going to step on his exact footprint yeah i guess just considering the fact that everything got super muddy i yeah. i don't think people probably took the time to like 
look at the forest floor. Right, yeah. You know, because a lot of these people, they're not, like, trackers. They're, like, they're just scouts. They're just people out looking yeah. for a kid. Yeah. Yeah. So, like I said, with the heavy criticism, people thought that all the people searching all those footprints would have obscured any possible tracks of yeah. Dennis. And three days into the search, a child's shoe and sock were found along a stream, but I literally could not find anywhere if it was ever thought to have been Dennis's, confirmed just, to have been Dennis's. Yeah. Nobody knows. Just a child's shoe. Yeah, it just, like, yeah. wasn't even put out there. So, who Which, knows? Which, I mean, if there are other people that are regularly hiking and camping in the area, mm-hmm. I mean, it could have been Dennis's, but it could have been anyone's. I think I read somewhere that um, his dad said the shoe looked a little too big. Okay. But at the same... I mean, I guess you you don't always know what, you know, your kid's wearing. Especially so. in a situation like that. Yeah. So, by June 22nd, the searchers had covered 56 miles of ground. Wow. Yeah, so it's like, how could this kid have possibly gotten that far, you know? Right. And eventually, the search was called off on September 14th of 1969 because they weren't finding anything. It was starting to get cold. And long story short, Dennis's remains were never found. And if he was somehow still alive, he would be 59 years old. Holy shit. Yeah. And so there's there's quite a few theories. You know, it's all just speculation because we have absolutely no evidence. Yeah, there's nothing to go on. <laughs> He's just fucking gone. He's just gone. Yeah. That's crazy to me. So the main theory is that he became lost in the woods and died from exposure somewhere. And park officials believe that this is the most possible, but... I would like to rebuttal <laughs> and say they would have found something. Possibly, yeah. Send out cadaver dogs or something. But also, scavengers work fast as well. Yeah, but, like, you you would find, like, strips of cloth. Yeah, or you, like, you'd probably find something. You Yeah, like, not even, like, maybe... Coyote's not going to eat a sneaker. Yeah, like, maybe they wouldn't find, like all the bones or anything, but they but would find, find cloth or, kind of or shoe, sneaker kind of thing. So, I don't know, I guess the park officials just think that because it's the most, like, realistic. Yeah, most likely. Yeah. And then another theory is that a bear carried him off, but again... Again, probably would have heard or seen that. Yeah. Bears aren't quiet. And bears are scared of us. Like, they wouldn't come up well, to, like... Would they come up to a group of kids, do yes. you think? Yes, like a grizzly. Yes, and just just take a kid and walk yes. off. Yes, I thought I heard that bears were scared of people. Black bears. Oh, but once you get up to like brown bears and grizzlies, those motherfuckers are eight times our size. Yeah, they'll carry off a six-year-old in a second. But again, the kids, the other kids. Yeah, Th- that's the thing is, someone would have if it was a bear big enough to carry off a kid, somebody would have heard or seen it. Because again, they're not quiet. And I'm sure Dennis would have screamed. Unless it got... insta-kill. Yeah, maybe. Insta-kill. But then, maybe there would have been blood. Maybe. But then it rained and... But they... I don't know. It's confusing. It's like, what the fuck? The bear wore gloves. Didn't leave a trace. (laughs) If the gloves fit, you must acquit. Poured bleach over everything. (laughs) And the third theory, which is uh, one Dennis's father strongly believes in, is that he was abducted and taken out of the park by someone or something. 
I found it interesting that they put the something. Yeah. That was strange. I always think that in a very sudden disappearance like that, especially for a child where abduction is a possibility, Mm -hmm. they not only need to start at, like, the center and go out, they Mm -hmm. need to immediately set up, like, a 10 or so mile radius and start going in. Because, like, kidnappers take and run and they go as far as they can as fast as they can because they know that you're going to start at the center and move outward yeah and i'm not sure how this where they were was set up like if if they were near a parking lot or like a very like heavily populated trail right but there was a weird situation that had happened that same day um with the key family and they had reported hearing an enormous sickening scream (gasps) And shortly after saw a wildly unkempt man running up the trail where they heard the scream coming from. Mm -hmm. And the father, Harold Key, he had stated that the man jumped into a white car and just took off. But the FBI concluded that there's insufficient evidence to say that this has anything to do with Dennis. Right, yeah. That's Um, just a crazy man. Yeah, and especially because apparently this sighting took place five miles away from where Dennis disappeared. Okay. And this was the same day as Dennis disappeared. I'm not sure exactly what time it was, but he's a kid. Yeah. (laughs) He's not going to be running five miles. And this whole theory that, like, about this, like, wild, unkempt man leads to the whole theory about, I guess it's a conspiracy of these people called wild men. Wild men of the Smokies. Yeah, is that that one of the theories that you're thinking of? Because I thought it would be. Uh, not necessarily, but I, it's part of the group of theories. Yeah, that, yeah. <laughs> you know. And these wild men are said to live in our national forests, and apparently they are all feral, cannibalistic humans who live in the mountains, and then they abduct and eat livestock and children at night. And they are said to be closer to beasts than to men because of how long they've lived in the woods. Here's the thing, though. Boy Scout campfire story. Yeah, it That's does sound like it would be straight one. Straight up Boy Scout campfire story. And then it just, with the internet, became this huge, yep. like, theory. I mean, I can totally see there being people that live off the grid in national forests and yeah. people have no idea about them. Right. I think it, I think there could be cannibals in the woods, maybe. I don't, I, I don't I think feel they're like feral. Since there are certainly, like we said, almost definitely people just living out in the state forest, like, off the grid. It's a thing. No Mm -hmm. big deal. Mm -hmm. But I can see where that would turn into stories of these crazy cannibalistic wild people who live in the woods and abduct Boy Scouts and eat them for dinner. Because Mm -hmm. campfire stories in the woods. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, the wild men of the Great Smoky Mountains. I am not a believer. (laughs) But it is a fun story. Yeah. So I'm not gonna discount it. Yeah, that's basically all the theories that I saw written up, and I think to end this story of Dennis Martin, I wanted to ask you what you believe happened. Like, what's the most believable to you? Here's the thing. I think I might want to wait until after your other two to tell you any of my theories because I don't want to take away from theories you might list. True. Okay. Okay. Okay, we'll save, because it's, we'll save that to the I end. I don't know what your other two stories are. It's possible I might have the same theory for all three. It would make sense. It would make okay. sense. So we'll, we'll come together at the end and think about how we think each of these happened or what could be the most explainable. What it be? So the next, like, I would say most famous disappearance that has happened in the Smoky Mountains is the case of Trenny Lynn Gibson. 
I've heard of hers. I've heard of uh, Dennis's. And this one is about a girl that went missing in the Great Smokies uh, when she was 16 years old. So Trenny Lynn Gibson, she was born in 1960. On October 8th, 1976, she was 16 years old and she was actually on a school trip when she went missing. Oh, rip her teachers. They never worked again. Oh, oh yeah, girl, you, you just wait. So there was like about 40 other students that had come that day and there was only one adult chaperone on that trip. Okay, that's so out of ratio. The state should have been all over their ass shutting that school down. I will say, first, this was the 70s. But second, so, apparently, like, the the trip itself was, like, a surprise. Like, all the students got to the school. They knew that there was going to be a field trip, but they didn't know where. And then all of a sudden, this teacher was like, we're going to the Great Smoky Mountains. And people were like, fuck yeah. Like, for a camping trip or just for a day trip? Just for a day trip. That's cool. Um, but it was, like, not even really, like, planned, I feel. Like, the students didn't know about it. They knew that they were doing something, but they didn't know what it was. That is big 70s. Yeah, I feel like it is. The plan for these kids in that one adult was to park in a lot near Klingman's Dome, which is, like, this walkway that overlooks the trees, and then there's, like, this dome part where I think it used to almost be, like, a watchman's tower kind of oh, thing. Cool. Yeah, it looked cool. Um, so they were supposed to park in a lot that's near there, and they were going to hike 1.8 miles along the Forney Ridge Trail to Andrew's Bald Mountain. There are so many mountains named Bald Mountain. Okay, I, I just cannot get over that name, Andrew's Bald. <laughs> Andrew's Bald. <laughs> I love that name. sentence. Name one person named Andrew who's not terrible. Yeah. I'm really sorry if your name is Andrew and you're hearing this slander, but you need to look inward <laughs> and ask yourself if you're one of the terrible Andrews. <laughs> If you're not, I believe you. But do I? I I don't think so. (laughs) So everyone was told that day that they needed to be back at the bus by three thirty, and because that always works. Yeah, right. And like the guy was just like, just make sure you don't wander off the trail or go any farther than Andrew's bald. (laughs) And then he was like, go have fun, kids. Bye, guys. Go frolic in the forest. And so. You know, like kids do, they, like, separate into little groups, and they all kind of headed along the trail, like, at their own pace, and Trenny was with, I mean, I don't know if they were friends, it was a friend of her brother's that she was walking with, and his name was Robert Simpson, and so she was walking with him down the trail, and everybody arrived at Andrew's Bald around one thirty that afternoon, and everyone just chilled there, they had lunch, everything was great, everyone said that like, Trenny was having a great time, and, like, nothing seemed off or anything, and when everyone started to walk back, Robert said that he didn't walk back with Trenny because apparently this was literally the reason. He said that he was going off to track a bear. (laughs) I'm not, I don't, I guess with some other kids, but I don't know. That was his excuse. So Trenny kind of fell in line with this other group of kids that was walking back, and around 3 p.m., Trenny was with this group of students, and they were only about, like, a half mile away from the parking lot. The students that Trenny was with wanted to take a break. They just wanted to stop and take a break for a second, but Trenny didn't want to, so she kept walking ahead of them. The students remember seeing her walking alone down the trail, and they saw her, like, bending down as if she was, like, looking at something or, like, to pick something up, Mm -hmm. and then she just, like, took a right. and Off the trail? Yeah, and, like, the kids, like, looked back because they heard some some other students coming and when they looked back up the trail she just wasn't there the students were like okay whatever like you know she's 
so she's going to be back at the bus. So when the group that Trenny was with arrived back at the parking lot, they realized that, no, Trenny was not there. She never got back to the bus, never got back to the parking lot. And one of the students that had seen Trenny kind of take off to the right of the trail had, like, taken note that when they reached the spot where Trenny kind of took that right, mm-hmm. like, it was just full of thick shrubbery and rocky terrain. Like, there was just... There's, no, like, nowhere for her to go. Yeah, nowhere for her to go. Weird. No reason for her to try to go through that. And probably impossible for her to try to get through that. I'm sure there's, like, thorns and shit. Okay, but this would happen to me if I saw, like, a little snake. I'd be like, wow, look at that little snake. I'm gonna see where he goes. And then I'd be lost. <laughs> Running through the bushes. Yeah. The student, she said that there was just, abs- there was no side trail anywhere near where Trenny kind of just went right towards and she had called Trenny's name a few times, but she didn't. She never got an answer. So all the students got back. They told the the guy. They were like, "Look, Trenny just never Trenny's showed dead. up. Yeah, she's like, where is she?" And so they reported her missing, and a massive search took place um, on the ground and in the air. Mm-hmm. And once again, heavy rains, wind, and fog made the search super difficult that same night. Yeah, that makes me think it's not a coincidence, right? I mean, I'm sure it rains in the forests a lot, but... Yeah, but, you know. <laughs> I mean, that's just very shitty timing, God. <laughs> At God, why? <laughs> and the search for Trenny lasted from October 8th to November 1st, and, you know, because of winter, they didn't search, um, and they didn't begin uh, another search up until April of 1977. At that point, why even keep searching? Because you just left her out there all winter long. At this point, you're only looking well, for bones. yeah, to retrieve the body. I think at that point, that's all anyone wants is to retrieve the body uh, for like some at, sort of conclusion. At what point does your all hope of her being alive go away? After four days, five days? Um, I, For the parents, I'd probably say they're... You know, they're holding out that hope, even though it's impossible. You know, they're still going to believe. But I'm sure for searchers and stuff, it was sort of like, you know, as soon as it got cold, even like a week after they started searching, like, there's no fucking way. Right. You know? Yeah. Well, she had nothing with her. Yeah. And it's just hard to think. You don't want to think rationally because it's It's not happy. Yeah. Yeah. So, they did try to search again in April of 1977, and this one lasted up until May. It really wasn't that long. They had found, like, cigarette butts and a can of beer, like, sort of near where Trenny went missing. Okay, but people be doing that while they're hiking. Yeah. And search dogs had tracked Trenny scent to, like, the base of the Klingman's Dome that I had talked about earlier. Mm-hmm. And they also found, apparently, more cigarette butts of, like, the same brand, like, right off the shoulder of the road near the parking lot. Okay. But again, there's, like, specific cigarette brands that are super popular. Yeah. And also, what decade was this? 70s. Yeah. Everybody is chain smoking. Yeah. Every single person is chain smoking. Yeah. It's kind of like, and especially, like, who knows if, like, one of the s- students had brought a can of beer or something. Yeah. Like, you don't a, know. Sneak a can of beer, sneak a couple cigarettes, of cigarettes with your yeah. buddies while you're on a trail without a teacher. Yeah. Fuck yeah. Yeah. That's, like, the shit. Well, I don't... I mean, not the cigarettes, Cigarettes but... aren't good for you. Well, like... <laughs> Maybe a swap, blunt. Swap it out for a blunt and I'm there. <laughs> so... Searchers, I'm not sure if this was within the first search or the the search the following year, but they did begin to find some items that belonged to Trenny. And I'm more inclined to believe that they found these sort of in the beginning of the search because they didn't find anything in the woods. They actually found 
a comb that she would always have like in her right front pocket like it was like this comb specially made for like long hair and it was it was like a special comb called stanley comb oh yeah um and her sister had the exact same one so they knew it was hers when they found it and the comb was found on the dashboard of robert simpson's car now robert simpson was the boy that was walking with her her brother's friend who said he was off tracking a bear right he wasn't walking back with her and her father, Bob Gibson, had asked him about it because he had seen it. And he was like, why the fuck do you have Trenny's comb? Because I was with her and she dropped it or something. Like, that's not that weird. Robert just said that Trenny had given the comb to him. Yeah. I don't think that's that weird. Well, they didn't... It's not like they went to the uh, to the trail in his car. They went on a bus. Right, but if she gave it to him for whatever reason and he just stuck it in his pocket when he got in his car, he took it out of his pocket. I think, his car. yeah, I think that would be my question. Did she have the comb with her that day? If they said she always kept it in her pocket, here's what I'm gonna say. Shit in your pockets is very uncomfortable, especially if you're mm-hmm. hiking up a mountain. Mm-hmm. So I personally can see if I have something in my pocket that's like inhibiting my leg movement Mm -hmm. for climbing a mountain I hand it to my guy friend who's with Mm -hmm. me who has way bigger pockets pockets, he doesn't think about it till he gets in the car at the end of the day he sits down takes it out of his pocket not a thought in the world so I think that's what I would ask I would ask did she have her comb on her that day and how close were they because they refer to him as her brother's friend yeah but if they're like hiking it together whatever like she just asked him to put it in his pocket I don't think I know, but I'm thinking, I know like, that's, like, literally some of the only evidence they have to go off of, but I just don't find it compelling. No, yeah, and I'm wondering, like, if they were at school or something before they left, they were like, oh, like, can you just keep this somewhere? Like, I don't have room for it. Exactly. And he was like, I'll just stick it in my car. Right. Something like that. Could be that. But you would think that he would have said that. He just he, said that Trenny gave it to him. But it's such a, like, small interaction. I can see where he wouldn't, Yeah. you know. Yeah. I don't know. One might call it a known uncompelling (laughs) (laughs) so on the day that she had vanished trini was wearing a like star sapphire pendant and she also was wearing a ring and both of these pieces of jewelry were found in the possession of a girl at the school in the sophomore class (laughs) okay so, I don't know how popular this kind of jewelry was. I don't know if it was, like, a one-of-a-kind thing. But apparently when she was questioned and asked to return the jewelry to the family, she wouldn't tell them, like, where she got them, but she did agree to give them back. And the parents never received them. So, what a bitch. <laughs> what a bitch. So, besides Robert Simpson, who was... I, I don't know if they listed him as a suspect. Probably person of interest. Right. Um, they also, there was also this other guy that seemed pretty suspicious, and we'll talk about him don't be in suspicious. a little bit. Don't be suspicious. He was looking very suspicious. Damn it. Because at one point, while Trenny's family was out with the searchers, waiting to see if they found anything, uh, Robert Simpson had showed up at the Gibson residence, and only her sister was there. And she answered the door, and he. she said that he made some super weird comments. Oh, like And this is pretty much exactly what he said. Quote, If Kelvin Bowman has Trenny, he will kill her. If he does not have her, I think she must have run off with some horny hitchhiker. Who's that guy that he named? We will talk about him. Oh, okay. So, Kelvin Bowman. He was also a student at the high school they went to, Bearden High School, who had broken into the Gibson house. 
One night in October in 1975, so the year before she went missing. Yeah. And Trenny's mother, Hope, shot him in the foot. Oh my god. Because he was trespassing. Yeah, you go, sis. And he was charged and sentenced to serve time in juvie since he was a minor. Mm -hmm. And he only ended up serving six months of his two-year sentence, which seems to fucking happen way too often. What? To white men? No. (laughs) And when he was being sentenced, he had made threats in the courtroom that he when he got out he would hurt trenny and yet they let him out early yeah and when he made a bold threat in court that he's gonna hurt someone when he gets out they let him out early on purpose yeah not in our justice system there is no justice system no (laughs) there fucking isn't i don't know who lets these judges be judges and these fucking jurors be jurors but at the time when Trenny went missing, it was said that he was back in school. I think multiple people had confirmed that he was in school that day. So they were kind of like, no, he couldn't have done it. He was in classes or whatever. That but, is pretty compelling, though. If he's in school, he yeah. can't be killing someone on a mountaintop. Yeah. I think, like, it was one of, uh, even a principal that was like, no, he was here today. He so, was right here, you friggin' asshole. Unless maybe, I don't know, the principal was paid. <laughs> dun, dun, dun. <laughs> Principals getting their faves out of trouble couldn't be in America. <laughs> so, in 1978, this man, Kelvin, was arrested for r- raping a woman in her apartment. And he was convicted of third-degree criminal sexual conduct. I would like... What's his name, Calvin? Kelvin. Even worse. I would like Kelvin to perish. I know, I wonder if he's alive. But, anyways, I'm sure he went on to do a lot more crime. Seemed like a kid who just loved crime from the start. Yeah. Unfortunately. I think he had a bit of, he had some trouble going on. So anyway, Trenny was last seen in the Great Smoky Mountains wearing a blue blouse, pastel blue striped sweater, and blue jeans with blue Adidas shoes. She must have really loved the color blue. And she also had a brown and orange like plaid wool coat that she had borrowed from Robert that day. Um, When they had started walking back, she had asked Robert to borrow his coat. And he was like, yeah, here, I'm going to go track a bear. Um, and then, uh, did he get his coat back? Obviously not. Yeah, nice Imagine you nice let someone coat. borrow your fucking coat, and then they just disappear with your and, coat. I know, and you just never found any. So, now I'm gonna get into the theories. Theory number one, she was abducted. Yep. Theory number two, Robert Simpson did something to her. He was a suspect at one point, but he was never charged. Theory number three, Calvin Bowman got his revenge on the Gibson family like he said he would by abducting Trenny and killing her. Which would be, like, compelling motive and all that shit, but it just doesn't seem like it was possible. Yeah, and even if, like, the principal did cover for him and he did manage to go and get her, like, I doubt he'd be stealthy enough to somehow bring her body out of the woods considering it was never found. Oh, yeah. And, like, no one saw his car or anything. Overall seems really unlikely. Yeah. Even though he's a prick, but... Mm -hmm, That guy sucks! Um, some people do think that Trenny was taken and held in the Klingman's Dome Observer Tower, like, against her will while people were searching for her, because, get this, in the hours that she disappeared, nobody went looking in that tower, even though that's literally where they were going. That is bizarre. It makes no fucking sense. That's weird. Um, so people believe that someone had got her and held her in that tower until the searchers called it off for the night. And people believe that once those searchers left, she was taken to the road and into a car. And there was one theory 
that came from a former classmate. I guess they were friends. I don't know. But she believes that she had planned on running away and that this, this trip was sort of like a perfect I opportunity. I almost wondered that too. And, and I, I don't really know what her reasons were for this. I don't think that Trini ever was like, oh, you know what? I just want to get out of here. Like, you know, I don't. Mm, bye. Did I'm she... going to escape off mountainside. Yeah. Like, did she ever say like she wanted to go away? Like, you know, but for some reason this girl seems to think that that's what she did. And those are pretty much all the theories uh, regarding Trini's disappearance. Like I said, she has never been found. And that brings us to our last disappearance that I wanted to cover. Um, this one is also sort of popular, and it happened in the beginning of the 80s with a woman named Thelma Pauline Melton. But people called her Polly, so I'm going to call her Polly because it's cute. So, Polly was 58 years old when she went missing on September 25th, 1981. And she went to the Smoky Mountains a lot with her husband, Bob, and her two friends. She did those trails a lot. She was very... She was um, a hiker. Yeah, she was very familiar with those woods. An avid woodsman. Yeah, and especially those trails. Like, those were the trails that she used. Okay. She loved the mountains. You know, that's where she spent most, like, most of her time. She loved hiking this certain trail that was called Deep Creek Trail, and she had been hiking it for about 20 years at that point. And the day that they arrived at the park... Her husband, Bob, had stayed behind in the car because he was 20 years older than her and he was, wasn't was in really good shape. Mm -hmm. So I guess maybe he just drove her and her friends there. And Polly and her two friends had headed out on the trail that she's been on many fucking times. Mm -hmm. And it's listed as an easy trail. So, like, it's not like there's a difficult terrain or anything. Just, like, a path. As they began walking, like, Polly suddenly just, like picked up her pace and started walking faster than her friends and ahead of her friends like just leaving them behind and they said that they saw her like walk over a small hill and then out of sight and they just assumed okay maybe we'll see her back at the car or something right like she started walking with purpose yeah and i read that like her friends were kind of teasing her about her weight or something oh and that's not nice and maybe that's why she sped up because she was upset first of all fucked up friends my ass but yeah she just kind of sped up and walked off in front of them and just sort of disappeared over this hill and they were like um okay i guess we'll see her back at the car they never passed her when they were walking they never passed them her when they were coming back um and when they arrived back at where they were parked they had asked bob if he had seen polly and he's like no and this was around 4.30 by the time they got back. And she apparently went over this hill around 4 p.m. So it had only been like a half hour. Okay. So her friends went back to that trail just to see if maybe, you know, they missed her somehow. Mm -hmm. um, but they never found anything. And Polly had high blood pressure and she also suffered from like bouts of nausea. Okay. Articles and stuff say she was a bit overweight, but I don't think that means anything. And her friends just found it super bizarre that she could just take off so fast and then just not be seen. Right. And by 6 p.m., they had no trace of her. They didn't know where she was, so they reported her missing. And over the course of that week, over 150 people came and looked for Polly, along with a bunch of search dogs. Mm -hmm. And a dog at one point did alert to, like, a fallen tree, and searchers believed that she might have stopped to, like, rest there for a brief moment. Maybe take a pee. Yeah, and... But after that, the dogs, like, didn't pick up on her scent or anything at any other location, which is weird. And the thing that's unusual about that day is that 
Polly had like a very strict routine. Every day she kind of did the same thing. Mm-hmm. And she would volunteer at this place where she would pass out meals to the elderly. Oh. And she did this every day. But that day she decided to call out and not go. And that's the day that she went with Bob and her friends to the that trail. Mm-hmm. And the day before she had went missing, when she was at that volunteering job, she had made several phone calls using the work phones, which the people that worked there found super weird because she, in her four years that she had volunteered at that place, had never used the phones. Interesting. Yeah, and and the police weren't able to track these phone calls. They don't know where they came from. They don't know who she was talking to. And her pastor did say that she struggled with a bit of depression because her mother had passed away that year. Oh, no. Um, I was kind of wondering. I was like, maybe she was just having a shitty day. And mm-hmm. she didn't want to go pass out food to the homeless. And then her friend's comments got to her more than maybe they normally would have. So mm-hmm. she just, like, stomped off. Mm-hmm. So it doesn't necessarily have to be anything super weird. Yeah. Like, people have bad days. People act like people. Like, not mm-hmm. everything has a reason and rhyme and motive behind it. It's just that's how her day was going. And then maybe she just got lost or something. Yeah. And then that led to her getting lost or other theories. Because, like, when you're frustrated, like, you don't, you're not really thinking rationally. So I could see how she could. I don't even think rationally when I'm not frustrated. <laughs> so I don't, I can see how she could just veer off path super easily yeah. when she's upset. Yeah, exactly. But, yeah, I guess it was only her pastor that knew about this. I'm not sure if anybody else had said that her, like, state of mind had changed, that she seemed more upset than normal. And she was prescribed Valium in 1979 as, like, a muscle relaxant, but she had stopped taking them before 1981, so I don't think it's anything related to that. Okay. Her husband had a a bottle of Valium, and it was discovered to be missing after she disappeared, but it wasn't, it was never determined if she was the one that took them. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's impossible to know that. The pastor, again, I don't know, I guess Polly told a lot of things to this pastor in confession or something. He said that Polly may have been having an affair at the time, but it was never confirmed. Okay. So I don't know if she flat out told him this was happening, because it sounded like he said that she might have been having an affair. So I don't yeah, know. Yeah, like, did he have a valid reason to think that, or yeah. did he just come up with it as his own theory? Yeah, based off of something that she said, and he just right. misinterpreted it. Yeah, that's important. Yeah, exactly. So I don't know why we don't know that. Don't give the police leads unless you fucking know what you're talking about. Thank you. And what's very interesting is that in April of 1982, there was a check that had been written out to Polly, and it was cashed in Birmingham, Alabama. But nothing okay. nothing seemed to have overcome of that. I don't know if there was some sort of easy explanation mm-hmm. um, or if they just never figured out who cashed the check. And then there's only really two theories that stick out the most uh, in Polly's case. And the first theory is that she ran off with her lover. That she used that phone at the volunteering place to coordinate everything and she walked ahead of her friends so she could just disappear off the trail and they wouldn't see where she went. She knew these woods very well. She was an experienced hiker. So maybe she found a separate way out of the woods to where her quote, was like, unquote, I'm going to fake was. my own death and go run off with yeah. my wife. Yeah. And then. But it doesn't seem like there's a ton of evidence. No, really. yeah. Exactly. It just seems like pure speculation. It's just like there's hearsay. not really like, anything to go knows. on. And then the other theory is that she took her life, but if she took her life, 
her body would have been found. Something would have been found. Clothes, piece of clothing, jewelry, something would have been found. But yeah, that kind of sort of concludes these three disappearances that happened in the Great Smoky Mountains. And in conclusion, I would like to say, national forests equal bad shit. Yeah. (laughs) Um, have you any theories of your own? Ugh. So, my theory with Dennis, oh god, it's so fucking hard because there's just no evidence to say that he was taken by anyone, the kids didn't see anything, like, did he go and hide? But they never found anything. Yeah, that that there's genuinely nothing to go on is wild. And that's the same with all three of these disappearances, is there's just absolutely nothing. I think that it could be possible that Trenny ran off, but... You know, I don't know who she was as a person. Right. If she seemed we like We can't the type. really make that call. Yeah, and and the same with Polly. Like, was she not happy with Bob? Like, what? Like, only the pastor seemed to f- think something was up. So, I don't know. Fucking aliens. I don't know. Aliens <laughs> and the. Uh, I mean, there are a lot of whether they're native legends or just really ancient beings of some kind there are a lot of stories and weird vibes and shit about the Appalachians and the Smokies of just like some things out there yeah there are things out there whether they're fucking a lot of people think wendigos Mm -hmm. wendigo type creatures whether Mm -hmm. it's the woods themselves especially in the case of Polly just wandering off or mm-hmm. Dennis just disappearing mm-hmm. so quickly like that. And even Trenny just kind of like seeing something and then stumbling through the bushes and disappearing. Mm-hmm. There are people who think the woods are just calling you in. Yeah. Whether yeah. it's you're following a voice you think you know and then you're disappeared. Yeah. Like maybe Dennis heard his dad or somebody Or even going, his mom. Dennis, Dennis. Yeah. That's like my, my mom, I've told you, is very superstitious. And she has told me all the time to not answer a voice calling my name if they don't say anything besides my name Mm -hmm. and if I know that person logically should not be here Mm -hmm. or even if it's just not like a back and forth conversation from afar if someone's just going like Marissa come here yeah Marissa come here she's like don't go sis no I agree um because of like reasons like that so that's like a a theory I I guess it's a theory I don't know a lot of people talk about the weird shit going on in the mist in the Appalachians and in the Smokies. I'm very open to that. I, I yep. don't necessarily have one specific belief, so I'm, like, all for it. If there's, like, some sort of ancient being, like, within the National Forest sort yeah. of protecting their ground, yeah, sure, why the hell not? Or if it's fucking aliens abducting people, I yeah. don't know. Why or the if hell it's, not? Like I said, the forest itself is calling people in and drawing people in, yeah. and then they're consumed by the forest yeah. in some way. That's a thing people talk about. Yeah. But also what's very compelling is the cave system under a lot of national parks. Cave system? There are extensive cave systems under a lot of the mountain ranges on, in North America. And so that's why people, when people talk about the disappearances in these national parks is that mm-hmm. a lot of them are very close or on top of cave networks like natural caves or like man-made no natural caves okay and that's why people disappear and then they're never found that could definitely make sense too yes whether it's humans like kidnapping people and they're like eating people or human trafficking or whatever it is or if it's something much more supernatural 
happening in these caves, a lot of people talk about the cave systems underneath the mountain ranges in North America mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and a lot of the national parks. And it's in almost all of the national parks. Mm-hmm. And it's crazy. It's hmm. crazy. Also, just as kind of a fun fact, the Appalachian Mountains are so old that when people were investigating, you know, scientists were doing their science in the caves underneath the Appalachians, there are fossils down there and evidence of some kind that the rocks down there are older than bones. Like, what? those those mountains have existed longer than bones have been in living creatures on Earth. So, well, like, before the dinosaurs. Before the dinosaurs, before any of those prehistoric creatures, before anything crawled out of the water, before we even had trees. The Appalachian Mountains are literally older than trees. And I talk, like, a, a lot about this, about sharks, mm-hmm. is that sharks and magnolia trees and turtles are, like, the three <laughs> oldest things on the planet. That's crazy. Because sharks existed before dinosaurs. Sharks have survived all of the mass extinction events. So mm-hmm. have magnolia trees. Magnolia trees were older than dinosaurs. The same with turtles. Hmm. They are the oldest things on the planet that are still living. The Appalachian Mountains are older than all of those. That's how ancient mm-hmm. these caves are. Mm-hmm. And then people are surprised when people just go missing near there. That's very true, but... I also sort of wonder if, don't you think that when people were searching, they might have found the hole or, like, almost fell in a hole or, like, or I guess maybe it just fucking sucks you in or something? Could suck you in. I mean, a lot of mouths of natural caves are very small. Mm -hmm. They, like, a lot of times the only connection they have to the surface might be, like, a rabbit hole. Mm -hmm. Like, and you don't think to look inside a rabbit hole. Mm-hmm. Or it's a hole that's easily blocked or covered mm-hmm. that nobody knows it's there. Unless you know it's there. Hmm. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. So the cave systems are my biggest theory. But also just whatever supernatural shit is going on in the Appalachians and the Smokies and all the East Coast mountain ranges that are so fucking old and terrifying. Mm-hmm. A lot of people talk about whatever the fuck is out in that mist because there is shit out there. I, and yeah. we are, whatever it is, mm-hmm. we are not prepared. No, I agree. We don't want to know. People talk about the ocean being scary. Gnosis. The Appalachians. Woods. The Appalachians, <laughs> specifically. Yeah. Oh. Yep. And the, Him- the Himalayas, too. I hate it all. Yeah. So those are my theories, uh, or at least the ones I like to think about, because they're so vague and so spooky, and there is no answer, mm-hmm. but you know it's in that mm-hmm. general dartboard. Yeah. I think that's where my, even though it's not super rational, I think that's where my thought goes, is to some sort of ancient being, being or, or force. Fucking aliens. Perhaps an unknown compelling force is just in the sucking smoky people in. mountains. Yeah. <laughs> We're really gonna clown a guy for chain smoking in the Smoky Mountains. He did what he was told. <laughs> He's like, You're gonna call this the Smoky Mountain and then clown me for chain smoking? For smoking? What the hell? I think not. We're Smoky the Bear. God damn. <laughs> so yeah, anyway, that was that's very spooky. Yeah. I That's the kind of spooky shit I love. Especially because like not even just in the Smoky Mountains, in any national forest across yep. America, the same sort of pattern of missing people happens. There's yeah. just n- absolutely no trace of these people after they go missing. Which is so wild, there's nothing at all. It's crazy to think about. All right, are we ready for a, a little dad joke intermission? Woo! Yes, dad jokes. Dad jokes. 
All right, I'm sticking with the Halloween theme again because it is Halloween month. Good idea. Who do monsters buy their cookies from? The Cookie Monster. The Ghoul Scouts. Oh. <laughs> like Cookie Monster would share his cookies. Do you even know him? You, you know what? You are right. <laughs> I guess I was just hoping you that he who? might. All right. You want to hear a joke about construction? Yeah. I'm still working on it. Ah, damn it. <laughs> oh, did you hear what happened to the man who didn't pay his exorcist? What? His house got repossessed. Oh, no. That is <laughs> a good one. <laughs> so, this is a one-liner. I was really angry at my friend Mark for stealing my dictionary. I told him, mark my words. <laughs> Mark, my words. My words, Mark. Mark my words. <laughs> Those were good. All right, that concludes Dad Joke Intermission, and I'm very excited to move on to more spooky woods shit. Oh, we love spooky woods shit. More spooky forest shit. More spooky true crime forest shit. Fuck yeah, bitch, let's go. <laughs> Woo. All right, so, so I'm going to get right into it here, okay? In April of 1981, a 14-year-old girl named Sheila Sharp came home from her friend's house at 7 a.m. Mm-hmm. She went in to change to get ready for church, but upon entering her family's cabin, she found three gruesomely murdered bodies and her sister was missing. What the fuck? This is the Keddy Cabin Murders. <gasps> dun, dun, dun. Dun, dun, dun. Ooh, I'm excited. I've sort of heard about this case, but I'm excited for the deets. I'm, I'm sure you've seen the episode on BuzzFeed Unsolved. Yes. Like, I like the BuzzFeed Unsolved episode and everything, but upon mm-hmm. doing research, there is so much more to it than I thought, mm-hmm. and I'm excited. Yeah, that's strange. I mean, I'm sure they had to leave out gruesome stuff, but... Right. But, you know, a few times when I've started doing research for a topic that I thought I wanted to do, it ended up being significantly less interesting than I thought. Mm-hmm. This one was the opposite. <laughs> that's good. That's exciting. Yeah, I was like, oh, this is a case. Yeah, I'll, I'll do this. Murder in the woods. But then, but then upon reading it some more, I got even more excited as time went on. Okay, so gonna start from the beginning. Glenna Susan Sharp, aka Sue, mm-hmm. just gonna call her Sue the whole time, left her abusive husband James in July of 1979. She took her five children, John, Sheila, Tina, Rick, and Greg, and moved from Connecticut to California to escape this abusive man. Mm-hmm. Good for her. So John is 15, Sheila's 14. Tina is 12, Rick is 10, Greg is 5. Oh, wow. Just to give you mm-hmm. a range here. So at first, when they moved to California, they moved there because that's where Sue's brother lived. Mm-hmm. And so they lived in a trailer briefly because they really did not have a lot of money. Mm-hmm. And then they moved into cabin number 28 in Keddy, California. Okay. So this was a very small rural town in the Sierra Nevadas. Like, literally, this town is, like, 70 people. I can't even imagine. It's basically just, like, a community on the outskirts of other small towns. It's not, like, its own full town. town. Yeah. yeah. So, it used to be, like, a railroad town, and then it was, like, an attempted hiking and camping resort, but then the cabins were, like, switched over into low-income housing rentals. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, she rented this cabin for her and her five kids. So, it was two stories, with the ground level being a basement, which was John's room. Mm-hmm. And then there was a set of outside stairs that went up to the second floor, which was like the living area. It opened into a living room, then a kitchen, and then two bedrooms. Okay. So the girls in one room, boys in the other. Oh, okay. And then John in the basement. Wait, where did Sue 
sleep. I'm not sure. I don't Maybe know. Couch or it something. was unclear if she slept on the couch or if she slept in the girls' room. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. Not totally sure. But it was six people in two bedroom house, so Yeah, know. that's crazy. Yeah. So fast forward a few years to 1981, everyone has a really bad day. Really? Yep. Hmm. So on the day of April 11th, they were having a totally normal Saturday. So Sue took the younger kids to go visit some family friends in town. Rick had baseball practice. John was hanging out with his friend Dana Hall Wingate, who was 17. Mm-hmm. And so those two were doing, like, standard 80s teen things. Like, they're mm-hmm. literally hitchhiking back and forth between their home in Keddy and then the nearby town of Quincy, which was a few miles away. Okay. So, like I said, Keddy wasn't its own full town. I, it seemed like they had to go to Quincy for everything. Mm-hmm. Okay, So yeah. the boys were, like, hitchhiking back and forth. Like, the rest of the family actually picked them up at one point when they were driving back home. They found them hitchhiking. Stayed home for a little while, hitchhiked back into town to go see some friends. Hitchhiking, man. 80s teen stuff. Very. And then people are like, why were there so many murderers in the 70s and 80s? Because you asked strangers for rides on desolate highways, you freaks. And so many serial killers were like truckers on those highways. Yeah. Like, opportunities. Oh my god. Sometimes correlation does imply causality. <laughs> anyway. So that night, Sheila made plans to go stay at their friend's house next door, which was the Seabolt family. Okay. So they were another family in the cabins literally right next door. Mm-hmm. And Tina was already there hanging out, like, watching TV and stuff, but not spending the night. Just to show you where everybody was by the end of the day. Mm-hmm. Mom, Sue, was home with the two younger boys, Rick and Greg, and their friend Justin Smart, who was spending the night with them. So he okay. was 12. Mm-hmm. Sheila left around 8 to go over to the Seabolts for a sleepover, and Tina came home from their house around 9.30. So, clearly, this is, like, a very social family. Yeah. Like, they're all visiting friends. It's a lovely Saturday yeah, in April. Nice. Yeah, honestly, sounds like a really good day. So, last we know, Sue is home with the three younger boys and Tina. Mm-hmm. John is with his friend Dana in town. Mm-hmm. Sheila's sleeping at the neighbor's. Okay. Okay. 7 o'clock the next morning, Sheila comes home from the Seabolts to go get ready for church, walks into the living room, and found Sue, John, and Dana dead, bound with electrical cords and medical tape. Oh, my God. The next bit is kind of graphic, so just beware. It's really nasty. I'm assuming if you're listening to this podcast, you might not need a trigger warning, but I'm going to give it to you anyway. Just in case. So Sue was found in the living room naked from the waist down. Mm -hmm. So blood splatter showed that her legs had been forced open, but she had not been raped. Interesting. Yeah, and had actually been covered on her lower half by a yellow blanket. No idea who someone threw a blanket over her. That's interesting. Yeah, kind of strange. So she was lying on the floor by the couch and had a blue bandana and her own underwear stuffed in her mouth and down her throat, and then her mouth was taped over. Oh, my God. She'd been stabbed in the chest and throat and had the imprint of a Daisy BB gun on the side of her head. So she'd been, like, butted with the handle of a gun. Hmm. John and Dana both had head trauma that was determined to be from a hammer, but forensics showed that it was two different hammers. Oh, my God. So, John also had his throat cut, and Dana had been strangled. So, even though they all had head trauma, John's cause of death was slashed throat, Dana was asphyxiation. Very different. That's weird. Yeah, right? So, of course, Sheila freaks out, ran straight back to the Seabolts for help, and Jamie Seabolt, who was an older brother, came to the house and went inside to see if anyone was still alive. Mm -hmm. But no, obviously, they were all dead. 
but like also tainting evidence, my guy. Yeah, honestly. Oh my like God. I, I understand you see a scene like that. Obviously, you have to go see if anyone's still alive. But then people were like, eh, "You tainted the evidence." Especially since there's probably evidence everywhere. Everywhere. It was a bloodbath. Yeah. There was blood splatter everywhere, yeah. and you'll see later. These killers did not care what kind of scene they left. Yeah, they were not sorry. It's kind of hard to go and check someone's pulse when there's evidence in yeah, the way everywhere. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, so then, he went to the boys' room to find all three of them totally fine, untouched, sleeping in their beds. So he went back outside, and he, his mother, and Sheila pulled the boys out of a window, like, yeah. out the bedroom window, so that they wouldn't see their massacred family in the living room. And Tina was nowhere to be found. Okay, so let me just get this straight. Okay, so, yes. Sue, the mom, she was found dead. Yep. One of her, was it two of her sons, or... Her son and, and her hit, son's friend. Yeah, okay. And yeah. then the three boys were her sons. Yes. So, her sons. So there were two friends over. Oh, One friend okay, was murdered. Yeah. Mm-hmm. One friend was sleeping okay. in the boys' room. With the other two boys. Okay, yeah. got it. Okay. Mm-hmm. So three people are dead. Two of them are from this family. Another one is just a friend. And then the other daughter's missing. Yes. Okay, got it. So the police show up on the scene around 8 o'clock in the morning and... There's a fuck ton of weird shit found at the scene. Mm-hmm. So they found one bloody claw hammer and two bloody knives just, like, placed on a little wooden table in the living room. What the Just, fuck? like, dropped there. Hmm. Whatever. One was a butcher's knife and one was a steak knife, which had been bent, like, 30 degrees. Oh, my God. So that was some fucking ferocious stabbing to, like, bend a knife. Mm-hmm. Big yikes. So all blood splatter determined that the murders happened in the living room, but the boys' bodies had been moved for mm-hmm. whatever reason. Mm-hmm. The house's phone had been taken off the hook and the cord was cut and the curtains had all been closed. Extra measures, I guess. Yeah. So the house didn't have any signs of forced entry, but Tina, her jacket and shoes, and a toolbox were all missing from the house. Hmm. They didn't find any blood splatter DNA from the assailants, only the victims, which means they must not have been injured very badly in the attack, mm-hmm. which will make sense in a minute also. Yeah. Uh, but they did find bloody fingerprints on the railings going back outside. Okay. But they couldn't, like, pull a print off of it or anything. So all the injuries on all three bodies seemed to have been inflicted after they'd been tied up because mm-hmm. underneath the tape that they were tied up with, there was no blood. Mm-hmm. The blood was only on the outside. And that would make sense why none of, like, the blood from the suspects was there because there was no fighting back. Exactly. So Sue, out of the three, was the only one who had defensive wounds. The boys had none. So, like, they Hmm. did not fight back for whatever reason. Which I have a theory about that, Mm -hmm. but I'm not super sure. I'm kind of thinking something, too. Yeah. So, (laughs) like I said, the injuries determined there were two different hammers used, but only one was found on the scene. Weird. My theory... Since there was the head wound from the butt of a BB gun, but there was no BB gun on the scene, and no one had been shot by one. There was no damage done to the house Mm -hmm. as if a BB gun had been shot. Mm -hmm. Like, half my question is, why leave some of the weapons on the scene and take some with you? That doesn't make any sense. Unless they brought some and took the ones that they brought, but... You know, that's (laughs) fair, because the two knives that they'd been killed with belonged to the house. Yeah, and I'm wondering if maybe the hammer was in the house somewhere too yeah that's why there was two hammers maybe uh so my question for why nobody was shot with the gun maybe Mm -hmm. that's why the boys didn't fight back they were being held at gunpoint they didn't know that was a bb gun 
they saw a rifle in their face. Very true. I wouldn't know the difference. Yeah. Like, <laughs> I, I've shot BB guns plenty of times. They look like guns, especially in, like, an environment like that where you just walk in. If there's a man with a gun in your face, mm-hmm. you're not going to question what kind of are gun they, it is. When you shoot them, are they loud? Not really. They pop. Okay. Because I was thinking maybe that was the other reason, but if they're not really that loud, No, they then... almost, like, click. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Not at all. So that's just my theory. None of the articles I read said anything about that, but nobody seemed to question why Sue was the only one with defensive wounds. So, also question, why were the other boys in the other room completely unharmed? That's fucked up. So, I don't know if it's like they were innocent, they only had some kind of issue with Sue, like Tina and the boys like maybe walked in on it, so they had to be victims, but the boys sleeping in the other room didn't see anything. How can you not hear that shit, man? That was a really big question. People were like, how the fuck did you miss that? Unless they were like fucking on sleep meds, like sleepers. And honestly, like maybe the killers didn't even know they were there. That's what I would think, too. Like, if they're just sleeping in the room. Which, this is all stuff we will cover again later, but just some questions to think about because I was fucking confused. And these questions don't, like, necessarily get answered. They're just, like... It's just weird. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, the Seabolt family next door said that they did not hear anything weird all night. Another person in the neighborhood said she woke up a little after 1 a.m. and heard what she thought was muffled screaming. So, Mm. I'm like, but do something sis this is 1980s california like one in five people are serial killers if you were screaming in the middle of the night please call someone especially like where they were yeah like in the middle of the fucking woods in a little like collection of cabins in the woods maybe she thought it was like a fox or something could be that's valid so another neighbor named martin smart who was also justin kid who was sleeping over mm-hmm. justin smart that's his stepfather okay claimed that a claw hammer was missing from his house oh yeah. shit speaking of justin he gave some very interesting testimony at first he said he slept through the whole thing and didn't hear or see anything mm-hmm. but a month later a month later he told his therapist he'd been having dreams about that night super graphic dreams where he tried to stop sue's chest from bleeding and covered her with a blanket Hmm. So, I know kids be having weird coping mechanisms, not the best witnesses, but, like, a lot of people were like, okay, did you actually witness this and then go back to sleep and suppress it, like kids do, and now it's coming back to you in dreams, whatever. Mm -hmm. So, he went under hypnosis Mm -hmm. to try and recall that night. So, under hypnosis, he said he fell asleep watching TV in the boys' room and woke up to sounds coming from the living room. He said he went to peek and he saw two men with glasses one with short hair and a mustache, one with long hair and no facial hair, mm-hmm. talking with Sue in the living room. He said then John and Dana both came in the front door and started arguing with the two men, and a oh. fight broke out immediately. Then, a few minutes later, Tina walked in. Wow. And was immediately picked up by one of the men and taken outside. And that's, so far, the last anyone ever saw her. So do you think that maybe because that kid saw it, like, he told the other two and they hid in the closet or something like Could, this whole I, time then maybe just fucking fell well asleep. the other two boys literally had no idea what happened oh shit they okay. woke up the next day and were like why am i being taken out a window huh yeah so he says that like he saw all this then like i said tina's taken out the front door never seen again mm-hmm. and that's where kind of his recounting of the events ends hmm. but here's the thing people do not love this testimony because this was a month after the events he had been questioned by police over and over. It was everywhere in the media. He mm. had seen and heard mm-hmm. things everywhere about it. Mm-hmm. It's very easy for kids' brains to dream that up 
and think that they were there, think that they saw it. Make it's easy for brains to make that connection, especially knowing that he was there. He was right on the other side of a door. Yeah, like imagine a murder happens on the other side of the door while you're sleeping, and then you're hearing all these graphic details. Of course, your dreams are gonna be that. Yeah, yeah. Like that's nuts. Also, the police were making suggestions and asking leading questions Ugh. the whole time. So that's you can't do that. Yeah, the way the police handled this case is the most bizarre part of all. Especially of this. with kids, you can't ask leading questions. That's what yeah. fucks up the testimony. Exactly. We talked a lot about that when I was like getting like in my psych classes. We mm. talked about that a lot. We talked about that in my trauma internship, especially yeah. with kids. You just can't. Yeah. Ask, especially as a therapist too. Not right. even if you're like interrogating a kid. If you're just talking to them therapist to client like you just can't do that (laughs) right yeah like kids are so suggestible are you kidding me yeah i have all of my kindergartners thinking i'm really a mermaid they were very concerned when i told them i was going to the beach they were like how are you gonna hide your tail oh i was like you guys are so cute anyway so there is a sketch done according to the descriptions that justin gives Mm -hmm. but this is where the horrible mishandling of evidence begins oh the sketches are done by a man named harlan Embry who is not an artist and has never done forensic sketches before, but sometimes volunteered to help the Reno Police Department. That's it. Okay, well, first of all, if you want to be a forensic artist and specialize in police sketches like that, you need to have formal training. Yeah. There's so much that goes into it. Yeah. Like, I wanted to do that for the longest time, but then I realized that most police departments don't really need it. Like, it's not a needed thing. So it's just like, like you know, a, a thing to do now and then. Yeah, it's like, okay, they'll ask you once in a while, maybe. Right. So, this case, especially since Tina was missing and she was a 12-year-old girl, the FBI was investigating it. The Department of Justice was investigating mm-hmm. it. The FBI and the DOJ have hundreds of sketch artists in their, yeah, what the in their collection here. <laughs> Why this And guy? they chose to use this random guy who had no skills or experience. And I'm wondering, because I know sometimes when the FBI gets involved, the police that have the jurisdiction get kind of aggravated with the FBI because they yeah. want to, like, handle it themselves. So I'm, right. I'm wondering if when the FBI comes in... And these police in, definitely wanted to handle it yeah. themselves. And I'm wondering if when the FBI comes in... Do they have the right to be like, no, we want to use this guy for the sketches? It or... could be because the FBI has like more power That's than what any I would think, right? fucking small town police department. That's what I would think. Yeah. It was just using this random amateur was like the worst choice, but also it may have been intentional. Damn. So, according to Justin's account and the sketches, they were looking for two men in their late 20s or early 30s, one between 5'11 and 6'2 with dark blonde hair, and one between 5'6 and 5'10 with black hair. The height thing. Come on. Yeah. Um, Right. Okay. Sure. And so, immediately, rumors start to fly about wild shit. Some people said it was, like, a ritualistic sacrifice. Some people said it was drug-related, but these theories were immediately dismissed by law enforcement because they were absurd. Satanic panic. no basement. (laughs) All satanic panic. No (laughs) basis for it whatsoever. Mm -mm. So, as far as Tina's disappearance, like I said... At first, the FBI was on it, but eventually they handed it over to the DOJ. Not sure why. Hmm. They used sniffy dogs to search a grid of a five-mile radius from where she disappeared, but they never found anything. Which, Mm -hmm. of course you didn't, because it happened sometime in the middle of the night, and you guys didn't get there until 8 o'clock. Whoever took her was hundreds of miles away. Yeah, and they probably shoved her in a car really fast, Yeah, and she was gone. Gone. Like, that's what I'm saying. It's like, you gotta start out and go in, too. Mm Mm-hmm. So, never found anything until three years later, almost to the day, 
On April 22, 1984, a man named Roland Pedrini was collecting bottles almost 100 miles away in Feather Falls, California. Mm-hmm. As he's going along, he finds a human skull and a mandible just chilling on the ground. At first, people think it's a Native American. Don't know why. Wait, wait, wait. What's a mandible? Jaw. Oh, okay, yeah. So they also found a blue nylon jacket, jeans with a back pocket ripped off, a blanket, and an empty surgical tape dispenser. Which, remember, the victims in the cabin were all bound with medical tape. Mm-hmm. So, you know. So not long after, county sheriffs got an anonymous call that identified the skull as probably Tina. Because they basically got this anonymous call that uh-huh. was like, hey, I heard you found the skull of, like, a small child. Do you remember, like, a few years ago that 12-year-old girl went missing in Keddy? And a lot of people think that whoever called anonymously and, like, put, you know, Mm -hmm. told the police that a lot of people thought the killer did it. Uh Uh-huh. And because, you know, killers, like, low-key want to get caught. They just want to get really close, but then never actually get caught. They want to be in charge. Yeah. In in control. Right. So a lot of people thought that that's what happened. I highly disagree because that was a very public thing. That's what I'm thinking, too. And it was... A hundred miles is far, but it's not that far. Still in California. Yeah, that's, like, from here to to Binghamton, like, to my hometown. Especially since it was such a huge... Yeah. Murder. It was was a quadruple homicide. It was a gruesome... Everyone fucking knows. ...family annihilation. And then you hear, oh, there's been a childlike skull found, like, and Tina's been missing for this long. Definitely more than one person had that thought. Yeah. Yeah. So it could have been any person who called in and said that. I agree. However, the call was never documented and was stuffed into the bottom of an evidence box and wasn't found until 2013. Of course. Because what the fuck? At this point, you're doing a bad job on purpose. I just can't even. Fucked up. I should mention that even before they found that tape in 2013, they knew it was Tina. Like, they figured it out based off dental records, but it took them a long time when they could have just listened to that tape and had that idea and Mm -hmm. figured it out a Mm -hmm. lot sooner, but they just chose not to. That's crazy. Yeah. So, I want to get into the suspects and theories because I think that's the most interesting part. I'm excited to see who could have done it. Who done it? Who do you think it was? Okay. Well, I don't know specifically, but I'm going to theorize. Okay. Because Sue was stabbed, stabbing is such a personal, aggressive form of murder. Especially with a bent knife. Yes, there was so much aggression with the number of stabs, how hard it was. That's a personal fucking thing. Someone's mad. Someone she knows. I love it, Emily. You really are a true crime bitch. I know. (laughs) All right, so, suspects and theories. At first, they were thinking some kind of serial killer because they were a lot active. This is 1980s California. Makes sense. They'd be everywhere. Especially fucking California, man. Yeah, exactly. So, immediately, Henry Lee Lucas and Otis Mm -hmm. Toole were ruled out. Mm-hmm. They'd been kind of active, kind of in the area, mm-hmm. so they looked into that immediately, ruled out. That's, like, not their thing. Right. A few other people were briefly considered, but no arrests were ever made. There were never any really serious leads, mm-hmm. except for two, but that didn't happen until later. It should have happened right the fuck away, yeah. but it didn't. Do you remember my guy, Marty Smart? Yes, I do. The stepfather. Yep. Bitch. Justin's stepfather, the guy who randomly claimed his hammer was missing. Mm-hmm. So, he lived with his family in cabin 26, right across the road from the Sharps, like I said. And he was in the same typing class as Sue. Oh, okay. Okay, they were in a class together. Okay. And he was overall described as a nasty, mean man with a criminal record. 
Even he admitted that he had temper issues. Oh. And in fact, his wife Marilyn said that he tried to run her and her son over with his car. So he's a fucking psycho abusive husband. Oh my god. Yeah, bad person. So this is like the main suspect even now. Mm -hmm. Like, it's quote unquote unsolved, but it's... And it does make sense because what fucking dumbass would break into one home to steal a hammer and then go to the other home? No, it was his hammer that was quote unquote missing. Yeah, I know. And that was... yeah. So if it oh, wasn't okay. him... Okay, I get it. <laughs> like, what asshole would just be like, I'm just gonna see what this guy has in his house real quick, and then I'll use it to go kill these people. And one of the people investigating the situation... One of the investigators... <laughs> said, <laughs> one of the investigators said that Martin was, like, too willing to give information. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Which was also a that's, red flag. Yeah, that's usually sus. Yep. So, and it was always kind of information and details that threw the blame the other way that would kind of point away from him. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, like, during the interrogation, he suggested that maybe his stepson, Justin, had seen the killer, but maybe the killer hadn't seen him. Unprompted. Yeah, like, what the fuck? Yeah. That makes sense, I guess. But, like, (laughs) why say that? Yeah, like, why was, how was that prompted? Yeah. And then also when he was like, OMG, they were killed with a hammer. How crazy. My hammer that fits that exact description is missing. That's weird. so fucking weird. Yeah. I, like, I could see, okay, maybe if he had a hammer in, like, an, a shed that was, like, not attached like, to that house. Like, out on his porch or something? Yeah, or just, yeah. like, out somewhere. But yeah. if it was in his house, like, really? Dude. And wait for this. Then in 2016, there was a guy who was, uh, like, metal detecting over this pond that had recently dried up. Mm-hmm. And he found... A hammer matching the description of the one that Martin lost, like that "quote unquote" disappeared. Dude, can this you guy found imagine? it. Found it in the bottom of a nearby pond that Plumas County Special Investigator named Mike Gamberg, which we'll talk about him some more, uh-huh. said that he firmly believes the hammer was put there intentionally because it's not somewhere a hammer would just accidentally end yeah, up. Yeah, yeah. Oh my God, can you imagine thirty plus years after a murder, you? Find a you possible find the murder, murder weapon. weapon. Yeah, because remember it said that there were probably two hammers. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And the one that was left at the scene, they were assuming, was from the home. Yeah, But yeah. then the second hammer was nowhere to be found, and they said it was a claw hammer, and he said his was missing, had a blue handle. They found it. Oh, my God. Yep. So, Marilyn Smart, his wife, Justin's mom, gave a really interesting timeline of what Martin did the night of the murders, but she mm. gave this in, like an interview in, like, 2008 or something. Like, she oh, gave that's... this way... Because she was never interrogated, and she was fucking terrified. The... She was terrified of her murderous husband. Well, yeah, that, but, like, did the cops even try? No, they didn't. Then and well, that's fucked up. Uh-huh. So, according to her, that night around 11 o'clock, she dropped Martin and his friend John Bobadie, a.k.a. Bo, at mm-hmm. a bar. So, Bo had been staying with them in Cabin 26, So she took them, dropped them off at a bar, went back home, went to bed. Then she woke up around 2 a.m. to see Martin and Bo burning something in the wood stove. Okay. And she said she didn't know what it was, but it may have been clothing. She said she just got a quick look and she wasn't sure. She also said at one point, like years later, she found a bloody children's jacket in their basement, handed it into police, but it was never submitted or recorded as evidence. (sighs) Which seems par for the course for this case, but we'll keep going. Then, not long after the murders, Martin suddenly went to Reno, Nevada and sent this long letter to Marilyn about their struggling marriage and all his feelings. 
and said, quote, I've paid the price for your love, and now I've bought it with four people's lives. What else do you want? What the fuck? Now, I'm not a cop, <laughs> but that seems like a written confession. And oh yet, this letter was, quote, overlooked in the initial investigation and was never submitted as evidence, despite being pretty good fucking evidence. That makes absolutely no yep. fucking sense. The mishandling in this case is absurd. Gamberg himself, the man who's, like, currently mm -hmm. investigating this and has been investigating this for years, said you could take someone out of the academy and they would have done a better job. I mean, it's gotta We have... could have done a better yeah. job. I mean, it's gotta have been, like, in partly an inside job. Like, someone paid someone off. Because that's mm -hmm. fucking crazy. Yeah. The... We have... Yep. Absolutely. Absolutely. Because no... It does, I don't care how dumb you are. You're not gonna look over shit like that. Nope. And just be like, Whoa. that every, like, no, just no. <laughs> not a chance. Also important information, it was known that Martin did not like John. And according to his wife, he hated John. Which, like, okay, we all hate 15-year-olds sometimes. <laughs> but, like, we don't kill them. Or try to, yeah, right? fucking try to run over him. But even more importantly, Sue had moved to California to leave her abusive husband. Yeah. And had been allegedly talking with her neighbor, Marilyn, and had helped convince her to leave her own shitty abusive husband, oh, Martin. That would, and Martin, yes. I'm assuming, did not like that. Though, yeah, that would piss so now, him off. So now, we've got motive. We've got means. We've got opportunity. We've got a criminal history. We've got temper issues. And we have a written confession. But wait, there's more. Martin literally admitted to his counselor at the VA in Reno mm -hmm. that he killed Sue and Tina, but said he, quote, didn't have anything to do with the boys. He said he wanted to kill Sue, and then he had to kill Tina because she walked in on it and saw the whole thing. So the counselor reported this to the police department. Oh, my God. But, oh, what's this? Never logged as evidence. This man has now confessed twice. So much evidence against him. Just never put in his evidence. Ugh. After Reno, Ugh. he stayed in Reno for a while, then Martin moved to Washington State and died of cancer in the year 2000. Fucking asshole. Yep. And now, as for his friend Bo Bobody, he was a fucking liar the entire time he was interrogated. If he's friends with that was, guy, he's gotta be. And it was, like, weird shit. Like, he said at first that he'd been living in Keddy way longer than he really had. Okay. He said he was a cop from Chicago, which was also not true. And he, in fact, was a fucking mafia enforcer in Chicago. Like, a literal organized crime thug. He's the guy and goes and breaks kneecaps. He's that guy. Oh, no. Yeah, that's his lifelong passion and job. Oh, my God. And he also said randomly at one point that Marilyn was his niece, which was also not true. I guess he's just trying to explain what he's doing in Keddie. Yeah, is probably. Like the, but none of this was true. It was just bizarre. That's fucking... That guy's a terrible fucking liar if he's talking yeah. about all that shit that is very easily disproved. Yeah. And this guy's supposed to be a mafia dude? Yeah. Come on, my guy. It was also reported that he had a little crush on Sue Sharp oh. and that she rejected him twice. Well, that will make a man mad. Yeah, so that's motive because fragile man syndrome. Oh, yeah. Yep. And yet, despite all of this, he was cleared as a suspect. And then he went back to Chicago and died a few years later in 1988. Damn, what's with all yep. these fucking suspects dying so early? Exactly. So still no arrests have actually been made in association with this quadruple homicide, despite mountains of evidence. Which, like, it came out that Martin was 
shocking, friends with Sheriff Doug Thomas, who was sheriff of Plumas County. Oh, a sheriff. So, like, friends whoa, with criminals. mishandled evidence, a cop helping an abusive husband get away with murdering Criminal? people, couldn't be. So, like, obviously this is all a cover-up. Like, it, oh, yeah. It's all just a thousand percent obvious, and I know people have talked about that extensively, but people have also just said, wow, I can't believe they mishandled all the evidence so badly. That's not mishandling. That's intentionally That's overlooking mm-hmm. and burying things that are going to convict somebody. Mm-hmm. Because evidence cannot be that poorly handled that much in one investigation by accident. That has to be intentional. That every single piece of good evidence, even alone any of those pieces of evidence, could have convicted somebody, but there are so many that it's just very obvious. Mm -hmm. And yet it was all buried or discarded. I do also wonder, aside from that sheriff being friends with what's-his-face, I do also wonder if the mafia itself had anything to do with the police covering shit up, because maybe they were like, I mean, you would think they would just kill this guy for being such a dumbass. You would and think. Going well, to kill he people. did only die a few years later, so it's very possible that they did. Maybe, yeah. It didn't say his cause of death, like, which was <laughs> mafia. <laughs> yeah. Like, would they really cover this guy's ass for making no. such a dumb mistake? So, no. yeah, maybe not. No. Because that's... But there are theories, and these are just theories that he was actually an FBI informant for the organized crime in Chicago Mm -hmm. because at first, I don't, okay, I don't remember if it was at first or if it was later on, instead of sending regular investigators, like, from the FBI to investigate this crime in small-town Keddy, Mm -hmm. they actually sent organized crime units, Mm -hmm. which doesn't really make sense unless it's the fact that Bo was there and he was known to be part of the mafia in Chicago. Mm-hmm. And so people are thinking that he was, like, an FBI informant. And so the FBI was protecting him so that he could go on being their informant for bigger cases. Are FBI informants, are they trained? No. Okay. It's just a guy on the okay. inside who wants to rat on people. Okay. I was gonna... That makes sense. It's then. not like an FBI person is sent in. It's yeah. like they... It, what usually happens is that... They arrest a lower level, whether it's organized crime, mm-hmm. like drugs, drugs yeah. yeah, stuff like that. They arrest a lower level figure and then they offer them, you mm-hmm. can either go to prison for the rest of your life right now yeah. or yeah. we can let you go Yeah, and you're our guy on the inside. There's a case that just happened a few years ago. This kid uh, that was in college became a drug informant for the police because he had no other choice mm-hmm. and he had this much fucking weed on him. Yeah, that sounds right. He ended up getting killed. That sounds right too. Anyways. They don't give a shit. No. Yeah, so I I was gonna say, because if this dude's such a bad fucking liar, there's no way he's right. part of the FBI. Yeah. So, which, <laughs> honestly, if he's that bad of a liar, and he's an informant for that the FBI, too. of course the mafia killed him. Oh, like, how'd they think he was gonna get away with that? But also, you know the FBI doesn't give a shit. Yeah. But, so there are people who think that if that was the case, then all of this evidence was mishandled on purpose to keep mm-hmm. him from going to prison and keep him from... Not being an informant. That's fucked up. Yeah. Honestly, I I buy it. I do too. I don't put put anything past the fucking government nope, or anybody. So law enforcement cannot be trusted. And we yeah. know it. No. We know it. Mm-mm. So, yep. After all that, nobody's ever been arrested, even though it's very, very, very obvious it was these two. It's it's so obvious. Even the people working the case now are like, yeah, we we know it basically. For and sure. it's just so sad that they're dead. Yep. 
And that's kind of what I'm going to get to. But in the end, after the whole event, the surviving three kids, Rick, Greg, and Sheila, were sent to live with their aunt in California. Mm-hmm. But she had too many kids as it was, so they just got shipped into foster care. Oh. So the day after the murders, Marilyn moved out of Cabin 26. Up and left instantly, which is fair. She took her kid with her. Yeah. Which also, when fucking Martin was being interrogated and talking about, oh, maybe the killer, like, saw my kid, or maybe he didn't, like, that might explain why the boys in the room were left alone, because his son was in there. Mm -hmm. His stepson, Mm -hmm. but his, like, his stepson was in there. And as long as they didn't come out and see anything, they didn't have to die. Yeah, he would have known that they were in there. Yeah. At least his son. Right, yeah. So... That's just a little nugget. So she moved out immediately and remarried not too long after. So it was assumed that she was having an affair. Oh, yeah. Which, like, whatever. Girl, you deserved it. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Do you. Fuck that man. Yeah, that guy deserved it, too. Uh, Cabin 28 was demolished in 2004. There's just a little pile of rubble left Mm -hmm. from the foundation. Uh, The case is ongoing, even if they can't arrest the people who did it. Because recently they got pretty good DNA evidence off a piece of tape that was from the crime scene. Mm-hmm. They're not saying from who, but they're saying it's from a suspect. So this is very damning evidence for somebody who's already a suspect. Mm-hmm. But they won't say who. Mm-hmm. Uh, they actually think that it may have been up to six people in on it, with two of them being Martin and Bo. And the sheriff. And the sheriff. He needs to go to prison. He, fucking Sheriff Doug Thomas needs to go to prison. Fucking Doug. Absolutely. I'd punch Doug in the throat. And recently, they were actually able to track down one of the women who gave John and Dana a ride home. Like, when they were hitchhiking, Mm -hmm. they were able to track somebody down and get the story from her about, like, where they went, if she saw anybody nearby, etc. So that's, like, some good info. Mm -hmm. And then special investigator Mike Gamberg has this to say on the subject of the suspects. He says, quote, they better batten down the hatches because we're coming. We're continuing with the investigation, and we're doing interviews, and we have several persons of interest. Hmm. So, at least the case is, like, being properly handled now, and people seem fucking pissed and appalled about how it was handled earlier, which means it's going to be handled much better. And the survivors and the families of the victims can have some closure, even if the killers died before justice was served. Still a little too late for me, but... Oh, for sure. It seems like fucking Bo Bobity over here at least got some fucking mafia comeuppance but honestly i hope so i i would like high five the mafia and honestly it seems like martin had a lot of distress over the event and then he died of cancer so like that's a painful death yeah that's a shitty death Mm. i mean it's very anticlimactic but they both got to die that's that's crazy (laughs) anyway that is the story of the cutty cabin quadruple homicide that's crazy i feel horrible for her surviving kids Uh, right especially sheila who just walked into her mother and brother just slaughtered a bloody murder in the living room i saw and um, also that kid dana he was just hanging with uh, his pal and he got murdered i saw like some of the crime scene photos like i i think when i did see them they had like you know the important parts blurred out but yeah fucking most chaotic scene you've ever yeah and that was the thing was they were not sorry about what they were doing they were not trying to hide it in any way and that's where what was his name martin Mm -hmm. that's where his aggression over 
possible rejection or just anger for telling his wife that she, she should leave, leave his abusive ass. That's that's Dump where that's ass. coming from. That shit was fucking personal. That's why the kids weren't killed in that same yeah, way. But also, like, I mean, not to be like extra morbid, but if you really want to fuck somebody up, kill their kids in front of them. Maybe, I I, I genuinely think it's because his kid was there in that same room with them, that they were okay. But he also said that the the only reason they had to kill Tina was because she walked in and saw him. Mm-hmm. So, like, she had to die. But, like... But they took her the with them, so I feel like they probably yeah. assaulted her. Um, and There's no evidence, but obviously... Right. But I think they most likely raped her. Yeah. And, like, you're right, there's no evidence because all they found was bones, so there's nothing they can really do with that. There was but, no reason to take her from the scene if you're going to kill the two kid, the other Right, you're going to kill them anyway. What's sad is that she escaped her abuser, you know? And she thought yep. that everything's chill she, now. And, like, to leave your husband in the late 70s and take your five children mm-hmm. and move across the country, mm-hmm. that's a bold move. And that's a no power money. move. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then they're, like, renting a trailer from her brother and living in this tiny cabin together. But they seemed happy. Like, mm-hmm. from everything I read, like, they had, a, like, friends in town. Her brother lived not too far away. Mm-hmm. Like, they were all making friends. Yeah. She was making friends. Everyone was having a great time. And then they got fucking slaughtered. And not by, like, the abusive ex. By some random guy. And I was also like, hi, why wasn't the ex-husband a suspect? Mm -hmm. But then I read all the remarkably damning evidence on the other two guys, and I'm like, oh, that's why. (laughs) And I'm sure they were able to prove that he was back home in Kentucky or wherever they were from. Connecticut. Connecticut, Kentucky. Whatever. (laughs) The South. No. (laughs) Anyway. uh, Yeah, I'd say it's because she said, dump his dick. That would, yeah, that would make a lot of sense. He tries to run you and your kids over with his car, dump his ass. He murders a lady across the road, dump his ass. But that's also what I was thinking. You said that he tried to run over his his stepkid and the mom. Yeah. What the fuck? Then he just fucking leaves him in that room to sleep. He's like, you know. That was my other thoughts. Like, yes, maybe it's, it's likely that the reason that those three boys survived and were left alone was because... His kid was in there, but also, he didn't seem to care. He wanted to run him over with a car. That's what my question is, is what stopped these men from just killing all of them? I don't know. Time? But it also seems like they didn't want to kill Tina. It seems like, and probably not even Dana, probably just Sue and maybe John. Maybe John? But... Who's to say? Maybe they abducted Tina thinking that they would somehow let her go somewhere far away. Right. But then they're like, oh, she knows who we are or something. Right, yeah. Or they, she aggravated them of some it's, sort. It's one thing if a witness sees your face and can identify you. It's another if they know you yeah. and know who you are. Especially if she's like, oh my god, you're my fucking neighbor. Yeah, like, you're like, that kid's dad, I know you. Yeah, like, what? Fucking Please, Mr. Way. Justin's dad, don't kill me. Ugh. Anyway, it's aggravating. Not to be like a downer, but that is a quadruple homicide. Anyway, scary things happen in the woods, guys. Whether it be supernatural creatures, the woods themselves, the cave systems, or just really angry man syndrome. And I guess that concludes episode two. That was... Of spooky shit happening in the woods. That was fucking good. That's a good one. That's a juicy ep. That will keep me from going in the woods. I think there are more things keeping you from going in the woods. I don't think you go in the woods. <laughs> well, no. There are June bugs me, there sometimes. That's what keeps me from going in the woods is fucking unsolved disappearances. What if just one day I walk into the woods and, and you I don't fucking walk just out. disappear? 
sure, I fucking just poof into a mist. Or I get up into some alien spaceship and they're fucking probing me and no one knows where I am. Then I will make a podcast episode about you. I'd be famous. <laughs> That's I... my thing. It's like, if I'm going to get murdered, can I be famous? <laughs> what a good way to be famous. You get to be dead and famous? And be like, oh my god, an alien probed her butt and that's what she's famous for. <laughs> uh, Alright, anyway, that concludes episode two. Uh, don't forget to follow us, like us, DM us, whatever, at UCF Podcast on Instagram and Twitter. You can email us with your questions, comments, concerns, mm-hmm. or personal stories of spooky events, whether it be paranormal mm-hmm. or creepy people, uh, at ucf.pod at gmail. And just letting you guys know, we just finished a giveaway this yeah. past weekend. We gave away five UCF stickers that I created, and I am going to be working on more. So yeah. if you want to be a part of a future giveaway, make sure you're following us. Yeah, follow us up. Uh, you might get some cool stickers. We might have mm-hmm. some other cool stuff coming out soon. Uh, so follow us to stay in touch with that to follow for other updates, all that good shit. (laughs) Shenanigans. And in the meantime, stay spooky, my friends.